Meseches Chumas, Perik Yud, Mishnah Aleph, 10.1. This following Perik deals with combinations of Truma and Chulun and considers if the Chulun remains permissible to be eaten by a non-Kohen. Since Truma, with respect to a non-Kohen, is really Isser, it's essentially situations of, from a non-Kohen's perspective, of Isser and Heter mixing together, of kosher food, we'll call it, and non-kosher food mixing together. And the question is, is what used to be quote-unquote kosher, meaning kulin, permissible to a non-Kohen, uh, still kosher, may it still be eaten, or now has it become usser, forbidden, to a non-Kohen? And that being the case, the principles that are laid out in this parak actually are very far-reaching, far beyond the scope of just uh, truma, um, and impact the halachas of kashras in general. So the first mission here begins with an exception, really, to the rule. Um, in many cases, the mission does that. When it begins a new topic, it, to set the parameters, it right away goes to um, considering where the line is drawn and when you're over the line, meaning where things don't necessarily apply anymore. So the general rule is going to be that if you have a mixture of chulin and truma, even if you manage to remove the truma, if the chulin still has a remnant taste of the truma, if the truma has imparted taste, in Hebrew, tam, taste into the chulin, so since that taste is still perceptible there, we will consider um, the taste being detected as indicative of the fact there's actual um, particles of isser still present and in the mix, and that renders the chulin forbidden. So the principle, as I'll use it here, simply is going to be like ta'am ke'ikr, which means that the taste, if the taste is present, it's as if the actual thing itself, the ikr, the actual source of isr, in this case, truma, is present. So the gist will be, if you have a mixture of chulun and truma together, even if you take the truma out, if you can still taste that that there had been the truma item here, that means the truma's imparted taste, and the remaining chulun mixture is forbidden for non kohen it becomes like a maduma mixture, a mixture of truma and chulun together, and would have to be given or sold to a kohen. If there's no remnant taste or no discernible taste, maybe a better way of putting it, in the chulun after the truma is removed, um, or mixed in for that matter, so then the resulting chulun or mixture um, remains permitted, meaning permitted for non-kohen to eat. Just one a point of clarification before we get into any confusion. Up to now, in the Masech, we had dealt with other mixtures of truma and chulun. And there, we had set out this rule that when it comes to truma, you need a hundred times against uh, the truma, meaning a hundred times chulun against the truma for the mixture to be permitted. Um, in truth, if you recall, we actually said that it's a machlokas tanaim, and the truth is we pass the Rabbi Yeshua that it's just um, more than 99 times of chulin against the truma, but um, we, for simplicity's sake, always refer to it as 100 times like the sheets of Eliezer. In any case, that requirement of 100 times of chulin against truma to make the resulting mixture be permitted is only applicable in what's called a min bamino, a mixture of um, two things that have the same, they're the same kind of food. They just, the same kind of food stuff, they just have different legal statuses. So in the case, for example, if you have uh, truma wheat that falls into chulun wheat, it's just all wheat mixed up. That's min bamino. If you have two different types of food stuffs, meaning, for example, if you had, I don't know, some a dish of 
wheat cooking in a pot and some barley fell into it. So that's called min bishe'en one type mixed with a different type. And there, uh, the rule becomes once again um, governed not by a hundred times against in that min bishe'eno mixture, min bishe'eno mino mixture, um, but rather the requirement becomes simply one of nasinas tam, of is there transference of taste that's still discernible in the heter, in the mixture or in the, or in the resulting heter if you remove the, the iser, the truma out. Um, one last point, which is really fascinating. Um, the notion of nasinas tam, of conveying taste, um, means that the way that one would normal, would ideally determine whether or not there is a remnant of this iser in the heter, the prohibited in the permissible, the truma in the chulen, would be straight out to taste it. And if you can taste remnants of the forbidden art item, then then it's forbidden. Now, normally when it comes to uh, mixtures of foods, like for example, you have, you have your cholens cooking on the, on the stove, and then some milk falls in. So there's a question, you know, is the cholens kosher or not? So the answer would be, um, everyone knows, you need 60 times against, meaning 60 times more then you have milk, and then the milk is considered to be bottle. Now, really, um, in a some weird theoretical world, the actual measurement would be um, to taste the proper way to determine whether or not the cholent with the milk inside is still permitted would be to actually taste the cholent and see if you could taste any milk being present. Um, now, the way the Gemara sets it out, you'd need to get a kfela armai, which means like a Aramean chef, meaning a non-Jewish chef, to do the tasting. That tells you two things. First of all, it tells you, obviously, that you need a non-Jew to taste it, because if it's not kosher, you can't have a Jew tasting it. Um, and second of all, you need a chef. That is to say, you can't just ask any old dope to taste the chones and say, do you taste any milk here? No, you need to have a trained palate examine, and uh, who can really be relied upon to decide if there's any remnant left left of the iser, or in this case, in the case of Basar Bachalov, of the milk in the in the chalant. Chazal, under normal circumstances, realized that you're not going to find a non-Jewish chef handy um, to taste your food all the time. And um, even if you did, there's a separate issue of um, trusting that the non-Jewish chef is telling you the truth, um, which you normally can't do if he knows the stakes. He has to be it's called Messiah Lefitumo. He has to say it in his innocence, not knowing the consequences in terms of cautious of his um, determining whether or not he can taste milk in the chillens, in my example. Um, and that, of course, is very impractical. And that being the case, since you haven't got conveniently, innocently talking non-Jewish chefs floating about to taste your chillens every Friday afternoon when some milk gets splashed in, Chazal set the standard at this the baseline at, at 60 times. Um, but that was just like a... Um, they had to set it somewhere, and that was based on their uh, decisions of, uh, you know, when taste is normally perceptible in normal foods, since the notion of having a handy non-Jewish chef is just a little bit impractical. Um, and that's usually the rule. But fascinatingly, in our Mishnayas, that wouldn't exactly be the case, because in the case of mixtures of truma and chulen, which is also Isser and Heter, um, you will presumably have pretty easy access under many circumstances, normal circumstances, to a Kohen. Kohanim are Jews, and they can be trusted. They're, they're, you know, there's no reason why. Um, so that they have Nehemanis, they're, they're, and that being the case, so when we say you have to discern whether or not the taste of the truma is evident in the chulin, um, that means actually not going with a 60 necessarily, um, but actually seeking out a Kohan and asking him to taste the food and see if he can taste any 
uh, remnant of the remaining uh, flavor of the isra that was imparted, meaning the truma that was imparted into the chulin. So that's the whole backstory here. Now the Mishnah says inside, <clears throat> the first case, as I said, is a um, exception to the rule. The exception here we have an onion, and the onion has never been cut, so it's like a whole onion. And that being the case, it's sort of, you know, the taste is sort of contained with the onion. It's not really giving much pungent taste out, um, which is falling into uh, a bowl of cooked lentils. It's cooked lentils that the liquid has been strained. Um, for simplicity's sake, we'll go with how many like the rush, etc. learn it, that the lentils are cold. And therefore, this is a scenario where um, taste is just really unlikely to transfer. Um, in fact, it's, we're saying it's not going to transfer because since the onion is, has not been cut and the lentils have already been cooked and the water has been drained from them, they're sort of saturated and they're bland. And that being the case, there's just not much of taste transference. So the basic way to understand this Mishnah is you have an onion, which is truma, but it hasn't been cut and it falls into a bowl of lentils that have been cooked, but they're no longer hot and they've been drained. And that being the case, both of the tastes are quite neutral and both of the foods are really sort of like not really open to absorbing other flavors. And that being the case, um, such a mixture would be just fine. Meaning if you have an onion that falls into your lentils, just take out the onion and um, and everything's okay. Now, it doesn't really matter whether the onion is the truma and the lentils are the chulin or the onion is the chulun and the lentils of the truma, the same rules would apply. You have a mixture of isser and hetzer coming together, and we're concerned about whether or not the isser, meaning the truma, conveyed taste to the hetzer, meaning the chulun. But for simplicity's sake, we'll go with the primary understanding of the Mishnah, um, which simply is that an onion of truma falls into a bowl of chulun lentils that have been cooked and strained and not, no longer hot. That being the case, that's the exception to the rule. That's a case where just pluck out the onion and everything's okay because there is no transfer of taste. That's how the Mishnah begins. It says, You have an onion. The onion's a truma onion. And it ends up being put inside the bowl of lentils. Im shalem, provided that the onion is still whole, meaning it hasn't been cut, mutar. The lentils, which were chulin, are permitted to a non-kohen because there's no reason to assume there's a transfer of taste from the onion that's uncut to the lentils that have been cooked and strained and no longer really receptive to taste. Vim chitcho, on the other hand, if the onion had been cut, now it's an open onion, so of course open onions are really potent in terms of their flavor, that being the case, benos and tam. Um, the question of whether or not the lentils are permitted is simply one of nos and tam, of whether or not you there's been a imparting of taste from the onion to the lentils, and the way to determine that is get yourself a kohen, ask him to taste the lentils, if he tastes onions, forget it, then the Lentils are forbidden to a non-Kohen. They have to be sold, given to a Kohen. And if he can't take the onion and the lentils, then the lentils remain permitted to a non-Kohen. Ushar kolatavshil, but as for everything else. Now, the Barthanon understands everything else, meaning things besides for onions, so meaning garlic and so. But it would simply be equally true if instead of the onion falling into lentils, they're falling into mashed potatoes. Bein shalom, bein mechutach. It doesn't matter. Go back to the Barthanon's shot. <clears throat> We're focused on the onion, for simplicity's sake here, whether the onion, excuse me, whether the other, like the the garlic, let's say, had been cut or not been cut, if garlic falls in to the lentils, let's say, so then you can't just assume everything's okay, but no centum, you have to determine by tasting whether or not there's been a transference of taste, and if yes, then the lentils become forbidden, and if not, then not. That's the din, that's the Mishnah. There's a machlokas here, Rabbi Yehuda has a, Different take. He says at least he's mater betzachana. 
When it comes to tzachana, tzachana is based like fish um, hash. If you grew up in South Africa or England, you might be familiar with anchovy paste. Um, I happen to love it. So anchovy paste is what we're talking about over here. It's loved off anchovies. I don't know if it's necessarily pasted. It could just be, you know, whatever, any other kind of little fish that you mushed up. Um, but those things kind of aren't nasty, and they have a, a stink. And you might want to find a way to remove some of that nasty stink um, and nastiness from the fish hash. And that being the case of Yehuda, um, he allows you when it comes to the fish hash, um, if you have put your onion in it, even if it's cut open, it's still going to be permitted where the onion was a truma onion. She'eno ela lito esazuma. Because the only reason that you put the onion in there was to um, relieve the fish hash of some of its nastiness. So that's Rabbi Yudah Shita, at least that's what the words translate as. Um, and the Allah doesn't follow him. But to make sense of his Shita is, is um, not so simple, because it implies that the reason why the fish would be prohibited is because you intended, it's where you intended to impart taste of forbidden onions, let's say, or garlic, etc. It doesn't make a difference. Um, but that's really not usually the case. Usually when it comes to Isser Vahetar mixtures, like you have your the milk and the chicken soup, which isn't really Isser Vahetar, or the milk and the cholent, or even if you have, I don't know, what you have pig juice like that drips into your cholent, which certainly is Isser pig juice filling into Hetar cholent. Um, we're never concerned, we never ask the question, did you intend to add the pig juice for flavor or not? That's not the point at all. Um, usually intentionality doesn't matter when it comes to um, mixtures like this in terms of in terms of um, um so therefore it's a little strange and all the different Mepharshim weigh in on how to solve this problem one solution which we'll stick to now just to keep it really simple and which will serve as an introduction to the next Mishnah is that we say here that the onion doesn't actually besides for removing some of the nastiness of the fish hash the onion only adds a flavor that sort of takes away from the quality of the fish hash, meaning it's the fish hash won't, it might, the nastiness might be gone, but the actual taste is not improved. In fact, it's um, derogated. It's The taste is, uh, you know, unimproved, whatever the word is for that. Ruined. The taste is, yeah, by by the adding of the onion. And that is called nosentam lifagam. It did impart taste, but the imparted taste that the onion gave to the fish hash actually was pogem. It, it um deprecated it, derogated it, diminished it, you know, hampered. I don't know the right word that I want that's more familiar. But anyways, it, it, it ruined the taste on some level. And when you are nosentam lefagam, if the taste that's imparted actually ruins the heter part, um, then we are lenient. That's always the case. And we'll see more about that in the next Mishnah. So let's understand, like some of do explain, that the issue here is it's nosentam lefagam, and that's why the onion is not going to make the fish hash Forbidden, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Um, but anyways, the halacha doesn't follow him. The halacha follows Tanakama, meaning the only exception to the rule would be the whole onions falling into the cooked lentils. Everything else, he had to worry about nistinas tam, conveyance of taste, and that is the halacha lamaisa for all kosher issues like this.